can a trans person be a Christian, go to heaven, participate in the church? In a season where we see a lot of controversy around non-binary gender and sexuality issues, and particularly trans issues when Christians are asking their Christian elected officials to pass laws banning trans youth from sports activities and such, it has become pretty clear to me that in their division of trans people as those to be marginalized from the church, many Christians, and as you'll hear in this podcast, even many Christian pastors have never actually met a trans person. Part of what I like to do in my podcast is give you proximity to people you don't meet often inside the walls of your church, and therefore many Christians never meet at all. I'm going to introduce you to Ellie Dote, a trans woman, not only a trans person, not only a trans Christian, but a trans pastor. Don't think that's possible? You're going to want to hear the heart of this amazing woman on this edition of the Post-Evangelical Podcast. I'm Pastor Paul, and I want to remind you, before we jump into the podcast, you can support the work I do to tell the world that God is not mad at you. And if you're watching on YouTube, you can just point your camera at the screen, and it'll take you to the website, pastor-paul.com, where you can support our work for a subscription of as little as $5.99 a month. And if you like, you can give more and get more benefit. It's just a way for you to participate in saying the ministry of the Pastor Paul community matters to me. I know Paul does a ton of free content like these podcasts, and I want to help make that continue to happen. Pastor-Paul.com is the website. I hope you will join and help keep the message of God not being mad at the world to come forth from the Pastor Paul community. Now, to our podcast with L.A. Dote today on the Post-Evangelical Podcast from our website, pastor-paul.com. Ellie Dote is a member and pastor to the LGBTQ plus community and other marginalized communities, a blogger, an author, an owner of Ellie Girl, a boutique web graphic design studio, currently lives in Southern California with her partner, Stephanie, and your four cats, Ellie. I, I note that in your bio. Yes. Of course. <laughs> yes. Well, thanks for joining us today. What's very interesting about your story as we lean into this today is you weren't always Ellie Dote. You were born biologically male, correct? Yes. And I be began transitioning and that was about five years ago. I came out publicly five years ago this past weekend. As transgender. Yes. Not not gay. Not You came out as a, yeah. a transgender woman. Yeah. And as things would go, you know, I couldn't come out as transgender without saying that I was gay too, because I was, I'm attracted to women. So that just kind of came with the territory. Is that how you would identify yourself today? To an extent, romantically, I, I labeled myself as queer just because I don't want to put those limitations and those boundaries. And in fact, right after I came out, I didn't want to be seen as trans. 
um, I wanted to just be seen as a woman. It wasn't until later when I understood and began to see the people that the church was hurting that I began to recognize that no, my visibility as a trans person is a ministry in and of itself to people that are just starting on that journey. You, you identify as, as a transgender woman because you want to be a voice for people who are going through similar struggles and similar decision times in life, and, and that you are a pastor now you say who works towards inclusion from the center to the margins uh, for the marginalized people in the Christian community. So let's just start there. You would call yourself a Christian today? I do, but not yeah. Christian in the way that evangelicals. Um, <laughs> not would, that kind would, of Christian, right? No, not that. Before, before any of you like decide to tune out, I do consider myself a Christian because my faith is important. I do believe that Jesus walked the earth. I do believe that he had a lot of really good positive things to tell us and teach us and recognize that, you know, when he said, I am the son of God, then, you know, he wasn't a crazy wild man out there. And so let's talk about the apologetics around this then. And I want to show something real quickly from a, a city council member in our area of Fresno. He put this tw tweet out the other day, and I think this was a couple of days ago, and it says, disgraceful attack on traditional Christianity uh, with a prayer at gay pride flag raising at City Hall. Uh, in this picture, people from Fresno may recognize that our, our mayor is a part of this ceremony. This was on the, the steps of our City Hall, and I'm not going to play the prayer, but uh, this is one of our city council members saying, and I'll continue to speak out against these attacks on Christianity. And, and there is quite a view, particularly in sort of right-wing Christian circles, that um, gay, queer, non-binary, and Christian cannot exist together. And this city council member believing that even a prayer that is sort of a non-sectarian prayer is an attack on Christianity. So how do you see the apologetics of queerness in the midst of where we are in sort of evangelical Christianity in America today? Well, I think it's important to recognize that um, gender identity is separate from sexual identity. Sexual identity deals with the gay, lesbian, bisexual, asexual, um, and queer communities because that deals with attraction. And I think it, it really speaks to the, the fullness of God. And sexuality is not always defined. And that's something that um, I'm learning, too, is that it's, it's fluid. It's, it's changing which is one of the reasons why I identify as queer, because I recognize that I am in process, I am evolving, and that's an okay place to be. Gender identity, on the other hand, um, is a spectrum as well, but it is a completely separate thing from sexual identity. It talks about what gender role you associate yourself with. Um, and we could go into a whole theological debate about whether or not gender roles are something that is prescribed in the Bible. I believe I happen to believe that it is something that we have created as a culture. If we didn't have gender roles within the church and within society, 
if those expectations weren't there that men enjoy sports and do the hard lifting, the the opening jars and, you know, barbecuing, all of whatever, whatever those stereotypes are, you know, um, one of my last ditch efforts to stay male was to try and join a men's group. And I remember just walking out of there, just going, this was disgusting. All of the illustrations had to do with football and they split us up into these small groups and the guys were talking about like, did you see that, that Fresno State game this last weekend? And then here I am thinking, oh my goodness, what did I do last weekend? And oh yeah, I, I watched the notebook and then I cried and ate a pint of Ben and Jerry's. And oh, I don't think I could say that out loud in this group, right? <laughs> and and so we have these gender expectations out there. And, and somebody asked me, you know, it, if we didn't have those gender roles in our society and those gender expectations, would you have felt the need to transition? And my dysphoria, my dissatisfaction with my identity really didn't come as much from my physical body as much as it was mentally and emotionally, all of those things that are typically associated with women. And I didn't feel like I was free to explore that and embrace that in myself. And I think we do the world a big disservice in, in not allowing ourselves to embrace that. And we're getting better at it right now, but there's a big fight and a push against it, especially from the church. I think gender roles are very, very damaging. And, and you know, years ago, there was this book, Wild at Heart, that mm -hmm. they sort of shoved into all our hands and read this. And particularly if you have a son, you need to read this and you need to get your son yes. out there shooting things. And, oh. and bringing up boys, yes. Oh yeah, all the focus on the family stuff as well. And I think we see a lot of damage done by that. I'm seeing it in, in Gen X men, sort of more of my age, who are starting to say, hey, I had this normative thrust on me that didn't quite fit. Um, yeah. Like you say, everywhere on the spectrum, and I think it's been very, very damaging to to the souls and, and emotional well-being of, of people. Yeah, we see, um, you know, Kristen Kobe Dumay um, wrote about that in Jesus and John Wayne, um, right. how that, you know, it, that move from John Eldridge to the Promise Keepers and then Promise right. Keepers into Mark Driscoll and we have this then toxic masculinity that flowed out of this of like understanding while the church needs men leaders, the church needs to have strong men in the homes and this really just masculinity that um, was willing to defend the house at all costs. And it, it has grown into a lot of what we see and experience today in modern evangelicalism Um very defensive of, you know, Trump politics. Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, the, the statement in um, uh, the Rise and Fall of Mars Hill podcast that really shook me was the uh, kind of Mark Driscoll-ish idea of the way to save a woman from a bad, violent man in her life was to get a good, violent man in her life. And putting all the onus on the, on the woman to, if your man's not, um, if your man's abusing you, then you're obviously not satisfying him and making him happy. So that tweet that I showed there from one of our local elected officials is saying, 
affirming prayers, affirming theology is an attack on the church. Where do you see the theology of all of this? I think some on gender, I guess some would point to male and female, God created them. Uh, and then we know, you know, there are sort of the six clobber passages when we start talking about sexuality and homosexuality. How how do you see, as you're talking about apologetics surrounding the LGBTQ plus community, how do you sort of explain a biblical view of, of your view of this in Christianity? Well, first of all, I can't for the life of me understand how the church has gotten to a place where, no, it's all about me and our neighbor can go screw themselves. And so when you asked about how I reconcile my gender identity with my faith, I have to go back to the very beginning. And what does the church teach about the fall and all of that? Well, the, the if you asked most Christians, um, why, did God, why did God create cancer? Why did God create deformed people? Um, why did God create, you know, you name it, all the different things in the world that afflict people? And the answer we're trained to give as evangelicals is that God didn't create that. God allowed that because we live in a fallen world. We live in a world where things aren't perfect. And so when I look at that, when I understand that, then I, then I have to ask the question, well, then I have felt and believed for a long time that my gender was predetermined before I was even born, that I was being knit together in the mind of Jesus, in the mind of God before I was born, and the intention was always for me to be female, but yet we live in a fallen world. And so I have to ask, is it possible then that my male body is uh, a deformity? Is my male body something that is a result of living in a fallen world? And if so, if that is even a possibility then, how does that change the the way that the evangelical community responds to the transgender community because uh, that drastically changes the question then if god necessarily didn't make people transgender which i know is a whole discussion point in and of itself but what if god allowed it what if we live in the fallen world and we're always taught in evangelical circles that when you get to heaven, we'll have the perfect body up, up in heaven. And my old pastor, Greg Glory, always joked that, you know, when you get to heaven, he, he, he won't be bald. He'll have a full head of hair. We're taught that in the church. So why is it that it's so hard to, for people to believe that when I get to heaven, my body my intended body as a woman will be complete. Mm -hmm. I think that's an interesting perspective. If somebody has an issue in their body, cancer or, or they lose a, a, a part of a limb and we're able to surgically correct that, scientifically correct that, then that person is no longer identified with that malady, right? And so why then is it such a big thing to say, 
if science can correct a sense that I was born in the wrong gendered body, why would we then say, no, no, you're, you are forever what you were born as, no matter what? And, you know, the Bible also tells us that it is the love of God that brings us to repentance. And mm -hmm. I often approach that with, you know, my evangelical friends to say, so if if Paul acknowledges that it is the love of God that is experienced that brings us to repentance, then how am I expected to even consider what you're saying and repent of, you know, who I believe I am if I am not allowed to even be a part of community where I can experience that love of God? Now, you know, mind you, um, I don't necessarily believe that in general, uh, and and I am in a very different space in my own personal faith, but I do feel like it's important to have those conversations and to ask those questions because my experience before I got divorced and moved down here to Southern California, I was looking for a place to belong in Fresno. And it took me over 10 tries to find a church that would say, you're welcome here. And I went to the biggest churches in Fresno to ask, is there a place for me to learn how to be? I, I believe that God wants me to be back in community, back growing in my relationship to him. And if that's the case, how can I be a part of your community where I can do that? And the answer continually came back of, you know, no, we can't, we can't allow you to be a part of this community. Mm -hmm. And in my, in my head, I, I feel like that conversation because of my training is essential because there are people within those communities that are dealing with their sexual and gender identity. And if I can get that conversation started, then hopefully it will save a life and get a pastor to start thinking. Um, and I think it was really eye-opening for me to hear that the majority of those pastors said that I was the first transgender person they had ever encountered. And yeah. to know that those pastors are the ones that are speaking about the trans community, they're speaking against trans rights without having met a single trans person, that, that really says a lot. I just think this is a fascinating discussion. And for many of you, maybe the first time you've ever heard an extended conversation with the trans person. And I hope that it's doing something, at least challenging something in your heart. Let me take a quick break for a moment and invite you to be a part of what I do here at the Pastor Paul community. Deconstruction You is for those who have said, okay, I'm struggling a little bit with this journey of rethinking my faith and I need somebody to walk alongside me, and I would be glad and love to do that with you. Deconstruction You is my mentorship for those who are rethinking their faith. And let me tell you, rethinking your faith or deconstruction is not a journey for the faint of heart. 
And it's not a journey you take alone. There's grief, there's anger, there's all of that process to get to the other side where we finally get to the hope that something new is springing up on the other side. My website is pastor-paul.com. You can find out more about my Deconstruction You Mentorship. It barely costs anything. We've made it very cost-effective in this season of difficulty of the economy because I really want you to jump in and say, I'm not going to take this journey alone. I'm going to have a paraclete, uh, another word for Holy Spirit. I'm not calling myself God. I'm saying we are to be paracletes walking alongside one another. Let me walk alongside you in your deconstruction journey through Deconstruction You. Pastor-Paul.com is the website. I look forward to being on this journey with you. Now back to our discussion with Pastor Ellie Dote on the Post-Evangelical Podcast. We spend so much time dividing it along the lines of gender that you went to a, a men's group as you were struggling. Could you see yourself being a part of a women's group in an evangelical church today? You know, I probably would be too much trouble, <laughs> but I've, I had always wanted to be a part of a women's group. You know, the men's group did like camping stuff and we're going to go out and build a house and we're going to watch the football game together, you know, ar, 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 that sort of thing. And um, that wasn't me. I looked at the women and they were like you know, doing cookie exchanges and all sorts of things like that. And um, I really, really wanted to be a part of all of that. They would talk often about their feelings and experiencing God in you know, their hearts and all of that. And I connected with that ideology, but it wasn't something that um, I was allowed to be experienced. And the thing that I miss most about church is community. And church provides that community space and the commonality in belief. And I think what I am finding now is that I I would want to join a women's group just for the friendship. Yeah, I, I read a book by an author named Austin Harkey, who is a, a trans male pastor. And Austin was saying in his book, isn't it interesting how often God chose the more effeminate, if I can use that that term, in the Bible, that that Joseph was the boy wearing the coat of many colors. Some argue that it actually is saying he's wearing a princess robe, and his brothers, who are the field workers, are angry and hate him. You know, uh, Jacob, who is the soft-skinned kitchen worker with his mom, while his brother. Esau is the burly, manly man, and his dad wanted to choose Esau, but God chose Jacob. And even Jesus himself, I know we try to make Jesus out to be this ferocious American angry man, but even he was, you know, the gentle lamb. Why would we be so afraid of this idea of male-female not being so easily defined as what we like to define it? That's a struggle for a lot of people who've had these feelings, but they know they're not allowed to. And so I see that in the work that you're doing, which is which is really a beautiful thing. Well, and I think it's important to say that um, I, in evangelical circles, we um, we often sing that song by Chris Tomlin, Indescribable, 
you know, inconceivable. The image of God is something that we can't even describe because it's so big and so vast. And we look at things like the Hubble telescope and the ex every time it sends back a picture, it shows the immensity of, of God's creation, things that we don't, we can't even explain here on earth. And when we start to say, well, no, God could never do that. God couldn't make somebody transgender. God couldn't allow, you know, X, Y, and Z fill in the blank. Then we begin to put God in this box where suddenly he's no longer indescribable, but we can completely describe him because we've built, we've put him into this box that was never meant to contain God. Hmm. Wow. I don't think we're ever going to get to heaven and God's going to say, you, you, did, you just loved people too much. It just made me, you should have been protecting <laughs> the religion more. You should have been protecting the purity of theology more. Well, you know, there was always this point in the, in the church where somebody, the church was always afraid of somebody. You know, in Jesus's day, it was the Romans, it was the Samaritans, it was the Gentiles, it was, you know, all these different people. And, you know, that said, oh, these are the people that God doesn't love. These are the people that turn their back on God and they're oppressing us, you know, all the all that stuff. And it's not much different than, than we're, where we are today with the evangelical church. I really do believe that the, the evangelical church has really lost its way. Um, and that's not just the evangelical church. I, I you know, the, the Christian church at large, the Catholic church too. Um, yeah. Now I know that there are several progressive churches around, but there's this sense that, you know, I remember I, I spent two years at Biola going through apologetics classes and, and Bible training and was told, you know, the Bible is the truth and everything else can be explained away. Here's the apologetics as to why. Well, if you are so incredibly certain about what you believe that Jesus is who he says he is, then why are you so incredibly afraid of anybody that would come in with those questions? And yet I see articles on, um, on um, Christianity Today talking about the danger of deconstruction. You know, I hear pastors talking about that and, you know, pastors I quite frankly used to listen to. Mm, yeah, I, me too. I have that uh, same thing. And, and for such a vast God who created such an incredibly vast world, we sure make him small and easily offended and thin skin. And, um, and I, and I want to address like even one of the comments in our, uh, comment box here that this, this idea that God created male and female. And again, I'm going to, uh, take from, from Austin Harkey's writings. Um, yes, the Bible says God made male and female. It also said God made night and day and night, but we know for a fact that God also made dusk and dawn, which is neither day nor night, light nor light nor dark. Uh, we know that God made it, it made land and sea, uh, but we know there's also marshlands and swamplands and land, you know, quicksand. Uh, there's, there's places that aren't necessarily water or land, uh, that God made a penguin and a platypus. 
um, to, to have this idea that God said male and female, that's it, nothing more. We, we have to understand what we're reading. And we're reading writings from an ancient Bedouin group of farmers who are writing to protect their heritage, lineage, and race. And, and not understanding uh, uh, the world as we do. And one other thing I'll say, and then I see, I want you to jump in, Ellie, is, uh-huh. you know, Matthew 19 is a passage that's used to condemn homosexuality a lot. And I, I think it's a, it's a passage where Jesus is using divorce to condemn religious hypocrites, not, not gay people by any stretch of the imagination. But I've been talking this week about this really fascinating passage of Matthew 19, 11, and 12, where Jesus says, hey, by the way, as we're talking about divorce, um, you know those eunuchs, those effeminate men that you like to make fun of a lot? Do you know that some of them were born that way? Do you know that some were made that way by others and some choose to be that way for the ministry of the kingdom? And I always feel like we really brush over that passage. I I, I mean, I think literally Jesus, because the disciples are kind of laughing like, wow, if I can't just get rid of my wife, maybe I better not get married at all. And Jesus is like, oh, let me take it a step further you put down these non-procreating men, which is what I believe eunuch was a colloquialism for any effeminate man, any impotent man, any non-procreating man, because that was such a valued, toxic masculinity was so valued in the culture. And he said, oh, by the way, God made some of those men that way. They were born that way. And so I just think this really binary idea that a God that says, I am what I am and I will be what I will be, to be confined to here's male and female, and there is no other choice, is just silly at, at best and fully cognitively dissonant at worst. Yeah. In fact, I actually did a, a paraphrase of that and I posted to my uh, my Facebook page just last week. Where I said, Jesus replied, not everyone who can accept this word, but only those to whom it had been given. For there are intersex people who were born that way. And there are trans people who have transitioned with the help of others. And there are those who do not conform to binary gender ideals because that's how they glorify God. The one who can accept this should accept it. And, um, you know, in, in many ways, what it just boils down to within the church, where I believe that this conversation can have a starting point is could it be possible? Is it possible for, for God to really, for, for God to have intended trans people to be a certain gender? You know, you go back to, yes, God created the male and female, but those initial Hebrew words could also easily be translated, God created them masculine and feminine. There is a word in there that says, and, you know, let us create man in our own image. And you then go back to, well, what is the image of God? God's image is indescribable, immense, you know, so much so that when Moses said, let me, you know, let me see you, God said, you know, no, um, you, you can look at my backside as I pass by, but you can't even, like, you take one look at me and your mind would explode and you would be dead on on sight that's how incredible god is and god doesn't really even define him himself by a gender it's us who have given him a gender you know it pisses a lot of evangelicals off that they will constantly use she her pronouns for god because you know if you are more offended by that than you are about the truth of 
you know, God saying, love your neighbor and me pointing out how you have not loved your neighbor, then there is, that is something to be said about your Christianity. I, I go yeah. back to, um, oh goodness, what, what Tony Campolo, who once started off a, a sermon by saying, um, you know, 10,000 people today will die of starvation and most of you will not give a shit about it. Yeah. I'm sorry. I, I just put the, the explicit on this, on this podcast. I love it. Um, it's perfect. But, but then he said, and what's funny is that more of you right now will be more upset that I use the word shit in church than you will be about the fact that 10,000 people will be, are dying of starvation today. Yeah. And that yeah. is exactly where we are within this, ch the church right now is that we are, the, the church at large has become so obsessed with being right and being, and, and drawing lines in the sand that say these people are not and will not be um, in heaven. These people are against the church and saying that they they will not be allowed in, then they are about what God said. You know, I, I look at, um, oh goodness, the, the whole story about Sodom. You know, Ezekiel 16, 49 says, now this was the sin of your sister Sodom, that she and her daughters were arrogant, overfed and unconcerned. They did not help the poor and needy. And I posted that to my Facebook page and I got over almost 150 responses to that, just blasting me over it, saying, you know, you are, uh, you are, do not what, know what you're talking about. Yada, yada, God does not, God condemns homosexuality. And I'm like thinking, wait a minute, you you are focusing on that, but you completely missed the part where Sodom was destroyed because she was arrogant, overfed, unconcerned, and didn't help the poor and the needy. And yeah. if that isn't the 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 picture of where the church is right now, then then what is? It's the consistent judgment of the church throughout the Bible that you're, you're fat and you don't care about the, the needs and justice for the needy. It, it is never around uh, sexuality and sexual choices. And Jesus, I always say, Jesus never condemns homosexuality, not once through all the gospels. But, but there is that passage in Matthew 19. And then in Matthew 11, he says, hey, Capernaum, you religious city where all the miracles happen. We know Capernaum was Jesus' headquarters where he did more miracles than any other place. And Jesus says about Capernaum, Sodom will have a better judgment day than you. Mm -hmm. If Sodom had seen the miracles you saw, they would exist to this day. Jesus' condemnation of condemning religious people is far more extravagant than anything that has to do with any sexuality or masculinity or gender whatsoever. And the fact that we've taken six very arguable passages in the Bible and made them primary, I think shows we are as false as the church that Jesus confronted in the first century. And what I love about what you're saying, Ellie, is you know, I read the stat the other day that if if a, a child who's struggling with gender or sexual identity issues has one accepting person in their household, just one, they are 40% less likely 
to ideate or attempt to, to commit suicide, 40%. And, and that in and of itself, the fact that a, a child struggling with gender identity is, is twice as likely to commit suicide than a, than a hetero uh, child, we should be asking the questions if for no other reason than that. If we, let me throw some language in here. If we fucking call ourselves pro-life and don't give a shit about that, we are liars. We are liars at our very core. And, and, and so if we know that fact to be true, those children are twice as likely to ideate or attempt to attempt suicide, let me say, way more likely to ideate suicide, but twice as likely to attempt it, then doesn't it behoove us to ask the very questions that you're asking? Like, are we damn sure we're right in our condemnation of this people group? And I, I don't think we're willing to ask the question. We just throw out verses and say, see, I'm covered and I'm good and hold ourselves in no way responsible for the real deaths of living human beings. Exactly. And, you know, I, I'm looking at the comments here and I see one um, from Stephen saying, no, we don't believe you're against the church. I agree that with that. It's all sin. We've all sinned. Romans 3.23. And, and I, I do agree, you know, we've, we've all sinned, but here's the thing is that what does Jesus, what does Jesus um, say is sin? And it goes back to, well, what are, what are the two greatest commandments? Or what the man asking Jesus, what is the greatest command? And Jesus says, well, it is to love God with your whole heart, soul, and mind. And the other is like it to love your neighbor as yourself. And I look at that and I go, okay, he says, then all of the law and the prophets hang upon these two, these two commands. Mm-hmm. And if God feels that those commands are so important that everything, and you have to remember that at that point in time, there were hundreds, thousands of laws that had been written by the prophets up, up at that point. Everything like boils down to the, those two, those two commands. Well, then how am I, what I'm do? how is what I'm doing affecting the ability for other people to be in relationship with God, to love God? Because quite honestly, the church shuts the door and they say, well, you know, you're, you're trans, you're queer, you're gay, you're bi, you cannot be a part of this community. So in essence, they are stopping men, women, people of God from coming in and loving God. And if I see that, then I go to the only time in the Bible where Jesus lost his temper. And that was in the courtyard of uh, the marketplace. No, Jesus wasn't talking about, you know, selling things in the church. He wasn't blasting any of that. He was recognizing that in God's original design for the temple, that you had the Holy of Holies, you have the court for the leaders of the church, the rabbis, the the priests, the um, the Pharisees and the scribes, and then you have the court of the women, and then you had the court of the Gentiles. And that court of the Gentiles, God is very specific that you are to include that to a to uh, accommodate those people who aren't part of the community to come and seek. 
God. And that is the area where they had made all of these religious rules that you couldn't bring Roman currency into the temple. You had to exchange it at that exorbitant rate. You had to then use that money to buy a, an official sacrificial animal from, from the church in order to for it to be accepted at the altar. All of those things. And that had completely crowded out the space that God had said, set this aside for those people who you do not agree with to come and seek God. And how in our current church settings are we saying, you know, these people can't come. If you wear Black Lives Matter church or a shirt to church, you will be shunned by, you know, I can think off the top of my head, several churches in the in in the Fresno area specifically that that will say, uh, oh, no, not in this church. Um, you know, you could wear a Let's Go Brandon shirt in there, no no problem. But <laughs> you, you know, it, yeah, I remember I remember in the um the UU up there was removed as a voting place because they said we you know Black Lives Matter is a political statement and they made this huge fuss over that. And so, you know, yeah, many churches in Fresno had had pro prop eight signs in the back in the prop these, eight days. Yeah. And so what are these lines that we're drawing that say, you know, you cannot love God in here and you cannot love God, period. You can't say, you know, I had so many people telling me you cannot say you are a Christian and and be trans. You cannot say that you're a Christian and be queer. Well, I'm sorry, but my job is to love God and then to show that love to other people. And if I am telling anybody that they are not worthy of God's love, that they are not loved by God, and that they are not um, able to, you know, and I am shutting off my ability to love them. Well, I'm sorry, but that is that is what is sin. Because everything filters through that. Everything. Jesus made a point of saying all the law and the prophets hang on those two commands. And if any, if it doesn't filter that, that's my litmus test. If it doesn't, if it doesn't communicate loving each other and loving God, then then it's sin. Well, that's good stuff. Tell people where they can find you and find your materials and resources. I am, um, I blog at eliedote.com. That will be moving at some point soon. I'm still in the process of redesigning all of that to pastorelli.com. Um, but for the time being, it'll be eliedote.com. Um, you can also find me on Facebook at Pastor Ellie. And just for anybody that would question your credentials as a pastor, I would say your pastor's heart was on display and I affirm your role as a shepherd to a community that is going to love that message. I, I love that. I think that's such a beautiful thing. And um, I, I, I talked to a pretty prominent speaker in our tradition a couple of years ago. His son had come out as queer and had been asking his dad to come speak at his affirming church. And his dad had said, I can't, I can't. And but then finally relented and did and went and said there was just like you said just an amazing moment of the presence of God in the room and so he was saying to very close friends like we cannot say these are not people loved by God 
at the full expression of, of the rest of us. And I got connected with him a while later and I wanted him to come on my podcast and talk about it because he began going through a, 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 a network of affirming churches and speaking. And the sad thing is he said, I can't, I can't come out and talk about it publicly because I will lose my financial support. I will, my career yeah. will be over. And isn't it crazy that that's where we are? Yeah, I, that was one of the conversations I had with a very prominent pastor. Um, I told him my story and we sat down for over an hour talking and he finally said, you know, Ellie, I, I wish that there is a spot for you in our community. I wish I can make space for you here. But the fact of the matter is that we're a Southern Baptist church and your being here jeopardizes our entire church and the churches we've planted because of where they stand. Wow. And it's, it's my assertion that that exact attitude is what has caused the church to be judged by God through all of history again and again and again. And how, how could a just God not judge that church with that heart? Yeah. Last thing, Ellie, like what would you say to maybe particularly a young person, but even a not so young person who is struggling with their gender or sexual identity in regards to finding faith and what spirituality can look like in that space going forward? Um, the thing that I would definitely say is you are a bearer of the image of God right now, where, where you are in your existence. And if anybody tries to tell you that you need to conform to be a Christian, to be loved by God, there is nothing that you need to do to be loved by God. And embracing who you are and showing up as that helps the world to see the full picture of who God is because, and we've tried too many times and I apologize for my role in that to, to limit that image into just what we think. But the more we step back and see the beautiful picture, it's like we're looking at a mosaic and, but we're looking, you know, this photo mosaics, but we're looking at just one picture in that mosaic and God is telling us, no, step back, step back and see the whole picture. And the more we do, the more we get in the bigger picture of, of who God is. And it's beautiful. So you're mm. one of those images in that photo mosaic, and you belong there. The discussion isn't over. I want you to join me over on my website, pastor-paul.com. It will take you to the bonus track. We talked to Ellie more about her journey. How did she discover that she was, in fact, a woman inside a presenting male biological body? And what led her to continue her faith and stay in Christianity, even in a church that rejected her? You can hear all of that in our bonus podcast over on my website for subscribers at pastor-paul.com. You can subscribe at the $5.99 a month level or above to get access to this bonus podcast that you won't want to miss. I will see you over there.